So I think sometimes as coaches and the adults in the room, we get caught up in what we think school sports should be. But when it comes down to it, I feel, and from my observations, these kids want to play sport and they want to play with their friends. They want to be with their friends. The pod class is in session. I'm your host, Jamie Anderson, and today we're talking with Dr. Doug Gleddy, Dr. Lorenz Sulls, and Jonathan Morrow about the importance of school sport, the role sports play in a healthy school community, and how they've been reimagining school sport to be more inclusive for all students. Before we begin, I'd like to situate our conversation in the land. We're connecting today virtually across the territories that are now defined as Treaty 6 and Treaty 7, but it's important to recognize that the ancestral and traditional territories of the First Peoples of this land are far more expansive than the treaty boundaries suggest. We're all here today, guests on and speaking from the territories of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, Nakota Sioux, and the Blackfoot Confederacy, including Gaina, Pagani, and Siksiga, Sutina, the Ayahe Nakoda nations, including Chiniki, Bearspaw, Wesley, and of course the Metis nations of Alberta. We come to our conversation today about reimagining school sport for all with gratitude for the stewardship, teachings, and efforts of elders, traditional knowledge keepers, youth, and individuals who continue to protect the land, water, air, languages, ceremonies, and culture. So welcome to the podcast, Doug, Loren, and Jonathan. Uh, we'd like to start our podcast by reminding our listeners to do some multitasking by engaging in an activity for their well-being while they listen. So uh, as you introduce yourself today for our audience, I'm also wondering if you can share with folks, you know, one of your go-to habits to support your well-being. Hey team, Doug Gleddy here. I'm a professor at the University of Alberta in the area of physical education and health with uh, pre-service teachers and also research in the area. Um, I love podcasts. I love listening to them when I walk and I love listening to them when I mountain bike, which is kind of my favorite go-to habit to support my well-being. However, it is important to not get too wrapped up in the podcast and also pay attention to the trees, as I found by uh, experience. <laughs> I think you only have to learn that once. Hey, Doug. You got it. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Loren, if you'd like to jump in next. Thanks, Jamie. Um, I'm also in the Faculty of Education with um, Doug at the University of Alberta, um, focusing on physical education and health education. And I'm happy to um, be here because one of my um, go-to uh, physical activities or taking care of my well-being since COVID hit is running, listening to pod class. So um, I'm happy to be joining the pod class. Um, I have to say before COVID, I would probably choose a, um, something to take care of my well-being or physical activity with others for the social aspect. But since COVID, I've come to appreciate um, my solo time alone with my earphones while moving. Amazing, Loren. Thank you so much. And uh, hopefully you'll get to enjoy the run that you take when you listen to this episode. Well, I don't know if I'm going to listen to this. <laughs> That's, That's fair. And Jonathan, uh, please introduce yourself. Yeah, thank you, Jamie. Um, I'm a, first and foremost, I'm a teacher in Red Deer Catholic. Uh, I teach at St. Francis Middle School in Red Deer. I primarily teach uh, physical education and outdoor ed there. I also have the luxury of working alongside uh, Dr. Doug Letty and Dr. Lorraine Salds as my supervisors at the U of A, as I'm in my fourth year as a PhD student, um, working alongside them in the area of school sport. Some ways that I try to uh, find my uh, well-being uh, to relax is I spend a lot of time with my three best friends, my young children, and we like to go on a lot of adventures outside uh, together. So that's how we uh, try to find our well-being together. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Uh, I'm just, I just finished my first year in a PhD program uh, at the University of Calgary. So if you're in year four, it tells me that, uh, you know, the end is in sight and, and it's possible to get through those first couple of years. 
Uh, we're we're hoping. We're hoping. <laughs> awesome, fantastic. Well, thank you for your introductions, and and thank you, of course, for uh, sharing your different ways of staying active and and making sure you're tending to your well being during you know tumultuous times for everyone. So I provided a little bit of an introduction uh, into your work uh, under the title of Reimagining School Sport. I'm wondering if each of you can tell us a little bit more about your different roles in the work of Reimagining School Sport, both as kind of a project as you see it, but also, you know, in that broader idea or movement of shifting how we come to contextualize and uh, support school sport in schools across Alberta. Sure, and I, I can start with this. Um, my role in this research actually started at the University of Saskatchewan. I'm from Saskatoon and did my undergraduate there as well as my master's and then returned after my um, PhD to, to do some work there. And our work around school sports started with one student's experience. And I think it's important to share this story because I think it really um, sets the foundation on where our work has come to. Um, so the story of this student is that he was a, a colleague of mine's um, son, and he got cut from a school sports team in grade 11. Um, so this school sport or being an athlete was really part of his identity and who he was and what he was used to, how he was used to spending his time. Um, and when he was cut from this sports team, um, it really changed the trajectory of his educational experience, meaning that not only was he getting less physical activity for obvious reasons, it also changed his social circle. Um, so he was hanging around different friend groups because those friends um, were on the sports teams and they were engaged in after school practices. So he had extra time on his hands. So um, he gained a new group of friends and they weren't um, necessarily the most uh, positive influence on him. Um, and his parents also talked about his experiences with, um, you know, emotional stress and, and mental health. Um, so this began, um, started us to think about, you know, what, what are the experiences of the students who are cut from sports teams? We have a lot of information on the experiences of students on sports teams, but what happens to those students that are cut from um, sports teams? And this really um, enhanced our understanding of the role of school sport on learning and whole development of students. Um, and from this understanding, we, we now have a broader perspective, or I guess a movement to, to integrate school sport as a critical part of students' educational experience uh, because of our learnings from that, that one student. And that's really what, um, you know, triggered our, our, our work um, where we are today. Thanks, Lauren, for your insights. Um, Doug, do you maybe want to jump in and, and add to that? Yeah, sh sure thing. So when, uh, when Lauren came to the U of A, I think it was 2015, she came with work uh, completed in Saskatchewan with athletic directors, teachers, and coaches, and invited me to join and to bring in uh, teachers and coaches from Alberta through uh, ASAA. And so we started to work together on school sport. And as we moved into that work and looked at the purposes and what are the various modes of school sport that kids have the opportunity to access, we started to really think about who are we missing. And how can we as researchers work in this area and bring forward some of the evidence for change? And that's really what we strive to do. Loren and I are part of a group called the Healthy Schools Lab. And our catchphrase is research, evidence, action. So we want to use research to provide evidence to inspire action. And so we've uh, published a couple of papers on, on cutting um, but also just on kind of the holistic nature of school sport or what it could could be. And we've got some more coming out. But really, it comes from a desire like I, I'm an athlete still, at least in my own mind. Um, you know, I, I played high school, college sports. I always enjoyed that. I, I still really enjoy sport, got a lot of benefit out of it. We just really comes from a desire of wanting to include more kids. Thanks, Doug. Appreciate that. And my understanding, Jonathan, is that you kind of bridge this area of research and practice as well as a classroom teacher. I'll let you uh, share a little bit more about your role. Yeah, thanks, Jimmy. Uh, yeah, probably about four and a half years ago uh, when I decided to take the leap uh, to apply for more graduate studies. And Doug and Loren welcomed me in. 
already knew what some of the work they were doing around school sport. And they always give sound advice and it was work smart. And so I was humming and hawing on various areas of research that I wanted to go down. And right at that time, I transferred schools to my new current school, middle school, grade six to nine in Red Deer. And what really made the push to dive into work alongside Doug and Loren in this area to focus my research on school sport is that I started coaching there, middle school for the first year, and I followed along with the ways that the school has run things for many years. And we had about, I don't know, 70 grade six and seven boys come and try out for the one basketball team. And we ended up cutting over 40 boys in grade six. Their first experience to middle school sport was, uh, you don't get to be part of that anymore. So through my previous experiences growing up in school sport, and then now coaching in middle school, that really solidified that this is an area that I wanted to pursue alongside them. So um, now I work a lot with Doug Loren and with Everactive Schools and try to bridge uh, bridge and take some of that research to action um, within our school. Thanks for sharing that, Jonathan. Appreciate it. You know, it, it's clear all three of you touch on this, the, the connections between school sport and uh, individual identity, individual well-being, um, and the impacts, the negative impacts of being cut from school sport or excluded from school sport. I'm wondering if you can share a little bit more about the ways in which school sports are a part of a healthy school community. I think a lot of times we think about sport as elite uh, for a particular few. Uh, but if you can just share with us, like what role does school sport play in a healthy school community as a whole? What are the benefits to school sport for, for those students who are involved? Yeah, and I think this is our ultimate goal of our work is to have school sport included as an integral part of that healthy school community. Um, the framework we use when we um, research school sport is comprehensive school health, and this is a well-researched and uh, evidence-informed framework um, that supports both students' educational outcomes while addressing their health. So it's, it's a framework that's fo focused on education, but they're improving their education through health. And this is something that we've learned through school sport is that it's not just about the physical benefits. And we know that, you know, sport does equal increased uh, physical activity behavior. And that is a positive contributor to student well-being, but not the only contributor. So through this framework, we have an understanding that school sport should be included in the promotion of health and healthy school environments because of the benefit that school sport has for students academically and positively impacting their health. So that story I shared with the student being cut from the sports team is a, is a really strong example. And from, from our research, we're understanding that the benefits are very holistic. Students are um, developing social emotional competencies, communication skills, teamwork, building resiliency, um, taking criticism, winning and losing. The list of benefits does go on from quality school sports programs. So it is our goal to make sure that school sport is an integral part of a healthy school community through that whole school approach. One of the big things that I learned when trying to gain support in our schools, um, especially from administration senior admin, is we need to tie in, and we can't just talk about school sports and the competitiveness aspect of it, or of uh, the physical activity. Like Lorraine was talking about, we need to talk about the overall health and well-being. And so one of the big ways that I was able to, to gain more support was to try to talk about the linkage between using the comprehensive school health framework. So when we say that, we know if we use the comprehensive school health framework, the goal is to create healthy schools. If we create healthy schools, hopefully our students will become be healthier. And if we have healthy students, we will have better learners, which is the goal of education. So then we try to show and tie the link in that if school athletics and school sport is part of a healthy school, it is part of a healthy student. It's not part for every student, but it can be an integral part for many students. So when we, try, when we show that linkage, that was um, a, a very good way that we were able to gain support from admin and senior admin moving forward. Yeah, those are really good points, John. 
I think part of it too is that the purpose of public education, if you go back and look at it historically, but also currently, is that public education is for the purposes of having contributing citizens in our society, both now when they are they're currently citizens, whether they're in grade one or grade 11, and we want them to be contributing citizens to our society in the future. Being healthy, being active, the benefits you receive from sport, public education is the only venue that we can guarantee everyone's getting that. Sometimes sports are expensive. Sometimes they uh, involve a lot of driving and travel, but everyone has to be at school anywhere. So that venue is really important and that's part of that benefit, right? The other piece is the the looking at, you know, it's, it's more than just moving for fitness benefits or health benefits. It's also, we are you know, we are made to move. Literally, we are made to move. That's how we come out of the womb, kicking and screaming. And but we also move for joy and meaning. And when we find that joy and meaning, it helps us do other things. It helps us transfer that to other areas of life, but also other physical activities. So if I find, you know, I was a basketball, volleyball player in high school, I found mountain biking as an adult, but I was able to take the joy and meaning I found in team sports and transfer that to individual sports. The last thing I'll say is I see physical activity as almost, you know, we talk about gateway drugs. I think physical activity is a gateway health piece because it helps us enter into other areas of health. So physical activity can be a gateway to emotional, social connections, as John mentioned. Um, You know, any teacher who's coached, you put kids on teams sometimes because they just need a group of friends. They just need to be on a team. And that movement and physical activity can link to other areas of health really easily. So that that really then contributes to the whole school community. And if I could just jump in and add something to both John and Doug's comments. And, and, and I think we're really reiterating that it's beyond the physical, which I'm going to reiterate again. <laughs> but I think some of our latest work has been with new Canadians and low-income youth. And when you talk to the new Canadians and low-income youth about their experiences on school sports teams... The physical is not mentioned, um, which some of our previous research with other populations, the physical activity is kind of the focus of the conversations. And these conversations with low-income youth and new Canadians have really been about feeling a sense of belonging within the school community, feeling connected to others, that sense of team that Doug was speaking about. Um, So I think it is really important to view sports beyond the physical and um, from a holistic and education perspective in order to understand the full benefits of sport and in particular school sport for a child. And one of our goals is to ensure that all students have this opportunity because it is an extension of the classroom and it does provide them learning opportunity. And, And we believe that if they are interested in participating on a school sports team, that we should be able to provide those opportunities for them. Excellent. I really love that point that you've kind of hammered home, Loren, is that it's not just about the physical. And in fact, um, when you're focusing on those benefits, you speak to so many, uh, like the social emotional benefits and that connectivity, increased sense of belonging, which is so, so important. And of course, you know, for me growing up being an athlete, that was never part of the conversation, but um, recognizing and kind of unlearning what we know about school sport and the role it plays in school. I think it's so powerful to see those other connections and recognize sport as offering so much more. And so in that same vein, in your work, you quote a Norwegian study, I think, from Safenbaum, Geldhoff, and Hogan, that, you know, if school is for all, sport is for all. As all of you have spoke to, there continue to be barriers, institutional or otherwise, that have kind of lent to school sport being for an elite few or or some rather than all. I'm wondering if you could share a little bit more about what these barriers look like, because I'm sure, you know, some of these things are so normative that we, we don't recognize them as being changeable or being able to shift. So perhaps, John, I'll hand it to you to maybe talk a little bit more about the barriers that are in place around school sport? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to jump in here just, just ahead of John, mostly because, you know, I'm one of his supervisors and I have the ability to do that. You get first dibs, so. <laughs> <laughs> but to go to the purpose, and I, I just want to read the quote from that article you mentioned, Jamie, because I'm not going to read the whole thing, but basically the quote says, democracy and inclusiveness 
indicate that if school is for all, sport is for all, that every adolescent has the opportunity and a legal right to align with sports. Now, we know that this doesn't come easy. It comes with barriers. We have traditional models. We have things we've been doing for a long time that are much more exclusive. We have cutting. We have A and B teams, and we have different ways to do things. And some of those are great, and some of those need to be worked out. But when we talk to, so in, in Lorenz research that then we, we added Alberta to Saskatchewan and made it a bigger piece, we asked teachers and coaches, what is the purpose of school sport? And a lot of them talked about, you know, student development and the student first, and we want character development. We want them to learn life skills. We want all these wonderful things. But when we dig down and we go into schools, it's all about banners and winning and trophies. And not that it's wrong to want to win. And you know, all of us are, I think, competitive sport-based people who, you know, if you ask someone who'd rather win or lose, I'd pretty much everyone would say I'd rather win. But when winning is first, that's problematic. Whereas if development is first, if the purpose of school sport is to develop the individual, both as an athlete, but also as a human being, and if winning is secondary to that, then we've set the context for how do we include people. And that means we include people who are higher level athletes, people who are brand new Canadians who have never, you know, set foot on a piece of ice. We have people who are from low income neighborhoods who don't have the funds to buy all sorts of fancy equipment. So if we keep that up front, right, and if we look at School Sport Canada, we look at positive sportsmanship, citizenship, again, there's that wonderful word citizenship, and the total development of student athletes through interscholastic sports. So that's the foundation that we're going from. So sorry, John, I stole your thunder there, buddy. <laughs> My thunder is your thunder there, Doug. Yeah, then I guess to kind of go off of some of Jamie's points and talking about the barriers. Um, so some of the ones that have constantly come on up when we're talking with students, we're talking with coaches, we're talking with athletic directors and admin is space for participation, lack of space, um, lack of people, coaches, lack of athletes, um, perception of like what Doug was talking about and mentioning, uh, parents' perspective, parents' voice, and then again, access and uh, affordability for students. So to start off, what we did was at our school, St. Francis, uh, my colleagues, Joel and Jordan and I, we re-looked at our athletic framework and essentially what we did, we created a separate program we call it sports development. So we're developing the youth and we focused it really on the grade six and seven. Our grade sixes were not allowed to try out for interscholastic teams to go and travel. We kept them and made an in-house. And when we changed that structure, we were able to address a lot of the barriers that I previously mentioned. So by keeping it the in-house league and developmentally focused and not on the competition, we cut down on costs. It was a very minimal cost for students to participate. We kept it all in-house. There was no travel fees anymore and sub fees for going away. So we it was able to keep the cost down. We modified it. And for the access, we did it during school hours. So we started using lunch hours to run some of our athletic programs. So it's not just that it's an intramural. We had still have intramurals at our school. And there is a difference between intramurals and athletics. So by, by creating that access and that affordability, um, we started to see student participation increase. Space is always a huge one. There, there's not enough gym space to have as many kids as you want or teams running. Again, we started utilizing our lunch hours, looking at that time. Uh, Loren has some good stories of people that have started accessing schools beside them. Many middle schools have an elementary school right across the road or very close by those gyms are not being accessed typically after school or sometimes even before school that if you have a relationship we've been finding people have been able to go use those facilities for their school people was a huge one not enough coaches we found two solutions for us with this the first was when we changed the structure we actually increased our amount of teacher coaches that came on out and participated in our athletics program. The reason being that we have many teachers with young families that used to coach before they had kids. And now that they have kids, they don't have the time or access outside of school hours to be there. So 
when we put it at lunch hour, all of a sudden we had an influx of teachers who wanted to come and help on out. The second piece that really helped was we had so many students wanting to participate, but we weren't, weren't having the right ratios. And we know that if you have, say, one coach and 30 kids, if it's not a good experience for those kids, they're not learning, well, then they probably won't want to continue on. So what we ended up doing was looking towards our older students, our grade nine students who are on our interscholastic sports team and had them come down and be junior coaches and working with our kids. We gave them a little coaching clinics, helped develop them, and then they were able to share their love and passion of sport with the, the younger kids in the school. And that created a really great opportunity and great sense of community within our school as well. Perceptions, um, this is a funny one, I got a little story to go with it, is that sometimes uh, we get a lot of perceptions that when we tried making school sport more inclusive and having more students participate, people would say, well, it's just intramurals or we've watered it down. And we really tried not to do that. We tried to keep maintain high quality, different levels of competition to meet all students' needs. When we brought it to other people, um, other schools, some had that, that view of it and they weren't necessarily wanting to jump on board to begin with. But once they saw the success that we started having with students, they started to join on and started to look at, hey, how can we do things different? Because now our school has two, three times as many students participating in school sports than what they were having. And some of the people were the ones who wrote the league guidelines that wouldn't allow them before. Parents are a huge one. If you want any change in a school, you ask any administration, you get the parents' voice in there, change will happen. So what we ended up doing, one big one was informing parents. We had parent information nights where we shared hey, the benefits of participation in school sport, what our school's purpose of school sport was. And once we got them on board, the floodgates just opened. It does take time. We had some parents come up and tell us, well, what if my child is an elite volleyball player? And we're like, you're an elite volleyball, your kid's an elite volleyball player at 11 years old? Well, we, uh, there's other avenues that we can do to help grow him. It's not just the physical aspect. We can help grow the social. He can be a leader. They, um, they came on board. And once we sat down and kind of explained the whole perspective of it. One of the key things to keep in mind is that not all schools are the same. And what, each school has different barriers. And even if they have the same barriers, the different solutions might work for one school and might not work for another. So we have to keep that in mind and keep things flexible and look at our own school community's needs. Thanks, Jonathan. I appreciate it. I think with any kind of culture shift, you're indicating aptly like the role of all stakeholders and all members of the community. And I think it's important to recognize that it isn't kind of a cookie cutter approach, which is really important for folks to kind of tune into their school communities and understand those barriers and uh, understand how the different actors and, and folks who are involved in those networks can play a role in supporting positive change. Um, I'll just add about um, most of our work has been focused on students and this conversation has been focused on students, but we're also reimagining um, school sport for teacher coaches and the barriers that teacher coaches face and to, to sustain a school sport program is something that we've identified in our research. So Teacher coaches are hard to find um, because it is their volunteer time. It's completely up to them whether they want to put that time in or not. And it's a large chunk of time. Our research shows that teacher coaches are putting in 15 plus hours a week coaching school sport. So we are looking to alleviate some of those barriers off the teacher coaches. Our research also shows that teacher coaches' well-being is decreased during their school sport season. So if we're looking at enhancing a healthy school community, Teacher coaches are also part of that healthy school community, and we have to develop school sports programs that are both good for the student, but also good for the teacher coaches and work within their schedules and promotes their health and well-being. So that is one of the barriers that we're looking to overcome. I'll, I'll just add one thing quickly, and thanks for that addition, Lorraine and John. You did a great job of outlining the, the big basic barriers. To go further from students 
to teacher coaches, but also to administrators and board chairs and trustees is that to go back to the comprehensive school health model and say, this is why school sport is important. This is why it's important to allow sometimes your teachers to do professional development to improve their coaching. This is why it's important to allow a little bit of time and space for intramurals, for example, or to get kids in the gym who wouldn't otherwise be in the gym. Absolutely. All of what you've shared really speaks to me as, you know, as a teacher and uh, as a teacher coach for multiple years in my career. And I think just recognizing uh, when you involve the community, the community benefits. And I think, again, just listening throughout this conversation to your responses, just recognizing the value that sport has, even for those people who are just tangentially involved in that school to kind of see the culture of school shift to see that kind of uh, activity built in throughout the day and, and to have value within the school schedule for that kind of movement and for sport, I think, is quite inspiring to hear, especially, Jonathan, from your experiences. The question always comes to, like, why now? Why is this relevant now? And, and although I'm sure many of our responses will speak to what's going on in the here and now with, with the pandemic and the multifaceted impacts and kind of intersectional impacts on folks and their well-being and their experiences within school. Uh, but I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about why this is so important to you as researchers and practitioners and what makes it relevant now. Yeah, thanks, Jamie. I think, you know, obviously, we're still in this in this pandemic. We see a lack of social connections, we see a lack of traditional physical activity opportunities, although I see a lot more people walking and biking and playing in the park, which is great. But it's so it's even more relevant now, the importance of physical literacy, health literacy, and we can do some of that through school sport is really, really helpful. And to encourage students parents to get off the screen and get outside and play and throw a ball around and do those things so that's you know that certainly increases the relevance right now as we're in the midst of this related to that is the idea of and some of our work and John's PhD work is based on a, a Dewey and foundation from John Dewey's work on experience in education from 1938 if you can believe it but the idea of educative experiences, and, and to keep that really simple and short, an educative experience is something you experience and you want more. You want to do more. It's triggered something in you that goes, huh, that was really cool. And we want kids to be active for life. So this all connects together of if we can provide these opportunities in physical education class, in health class, in science class, and then we can shore up that in intramurals, in school sport, whatever that may look like. And we have teacher coaches from different areas. We have parents helping out. That's why it's important. I think I have kind of two points on why I think it's relevant now. Uh, the first one goes back to when my first year coaching at my new school. And when we made all the cuts, made our teams, and I went through the list of students that, that were selected. Out of the 15 students on my team, 13 of them were playing club basketball already. Two were not. And majority of the kids that we cut never played organized basketball before. So it comes back to what is the purpose of school sport and who is it for? Because my perspective and my experiences to begin with were that the rich were getting richer. The ones who are already participating in sport outside of school, now we're getting it again within our school. And what about all the ones that don't have the opportunity outside of school to access sport? And now they don't get it inside of our school. So I was looking at it from those students' perspectives and lens. And the second one is, is very selfish. I have three young kids. And I want them to have the opportunity to be able to participate in school sports. So can we figure out ways that we can make it inclusive? I'm not going to be that parent with blinders on, or hopefully I'm not, that says my kid is the best at everything no matter what, and they should be on every team. But I want them to have that opportunity to gain many of the benefits that we know come from school sports. Yeah, and I think that's an important point that, that John makes. And I think us coming from sport backgrounds, we forget that the school is the hub of the community. 
So in our interviews with parents of students that were cut from school sports teams, they have told us that they don't know where else to go. So that school is where they know that their children can play sport. So yes, if my child gets cut from a school sports team, I can support them and I can provide maybe community opportunities for them. But there's some knowledge barriers and understanding on where to do that in some families, because not every family has that sport background. But there's also financial barriers, transportation barriers. When they're at the school, they can go right to practice after school. School sport does cost money, but it tends to be cheaper than community and club sport. So we have to be aware that that school is meant to be equitable, and that includes school sport. And also when we talk about um, inclusive opportunities on these school sports teams, we're not excluding anybody. So I think we are creating more space for students, but we're also creating opportunities for those students who have more experience and have higher skills. Those opportunities remain. We are just enhancing others' opportunities, which I think makes it very relevant right now in, in an idea from an inclusive framework and allowing individuals from all backgrounds and all skill levels a place on our school sports teams. Awesome. Thank you, Loren, Doug, and Jonathan for sharing that. I think, yeah, Loren, when you when you were just talking about, um, you know, it's not it's not like we're getting rid of sport and competition and those opportunities. I think that's one of the the fears that kind of you might hold back some of this change is, you know, but what about those those students who have the skills, how do we take them to the next level? And I really appreciate you kind of breaking down those myths around, you know, it doesn't mean that we're doing away with opportunities for interscholastic sport, uh, but rather it's about strengthening those opportunities for all folks, no matter what their skill level is. And I do, you know, I recall being a coach and, you know, struggling to even have enough folks to make a team. Um, And I just think about all of the different opportunities for students to progress and develop skills who might, you know, in grade seven, not be interested in participating in interscholastic volleyball or basketball, but, you know, maybe a year down the road, they've developed those skills and they want to take a try at it. I think it's such a great thing to imagine the opportunities opening up as opposed to shutting down the older that students get. So thank you, everyone, for sharing that. I think, Jonathan, I'm going to pick on you a little bit more because, you know, you are a practicing middle school teacher and and you've done a lot of this on the ground work implementing uh, this kind of re-envisioned school sport in your school community and school division. I'm wondering if you have any stories about your experience in implementing this work that you'd like to share with our audience. And we love story time, so so hopefully you can share a little bit about what you've seen on the ground, whether it's, you know, your experience with students, the trials, the, the tribulations, the successes, what, what have you? Yeah, well, we've learned a lot uh, and the learning is continuous. Um, some of the like, big takeaways is this isn't easy. Uh, change is hard. Uh, nobody really likes change. And so, so many people value school sport and hold it close to them. And when you want to try to change that, it is hard. It's not easy. People do get uh, defensive. You know, they get very protective of it. So part of the thing is when implementing change like this is working together, being open, transparent, talking with people, hearing all points of views. And then you will mess up. At our school, when we were implementing, when we first started off, we had the gym when we had, say, 60, 60 70 students playing volleyball, but we only had two coaches. Is that the best way for it to happen? No. So what from that, we learned and we went and, again, mentioned before how we started asking our senior players to come on in. And that was just an aha moment for us. Um, one of the big ones, like a great story that I loved was when we first initiated this and we were doing volleyball at our school and we got a, one of our other schools to join in on this initiative with us. And at our school, we ended up having, I think, five girls volleyball teams in our sports development program and about five or six in our boys sports development program. And first off, people, um, and I know how Lauren mentioned about the competitive aspect of it. And people thought, you know, if you're just playing that you're in-house or you're playing your own team, it's not very competitive or will the kids really embrace it? Well, those inter-school team games were the most intense and competitive just as much as when I coach interscholastic between two schools. 
So that was really great to see that, you know, the kids just wanted to play and they will get competitive. And one of the things is these kids just wanted to play with their friends. We forget about it. And I think a lot of times when we start running our school sports programs, we come from it from the adult lens, from the coach lens, from the teacher lens. And we forget that a lot of these times kids just want to play and be with their friends. Another cool story is that uh, the school I'm at right now, we had our own sports development and another school down the road had theirs. And they ran all their in-house games and practices. And then we decided at the end of the season, we were just going to have a jamboree. We're going to bring all the teams together and just run a little mini tournament. No places were kept of who got first, second, or third. They just played. Well, the team that came on over, I think it was for the girl team, were short. And they had two boys teams and half a girl team. What ended up happening was a bunch of boys from my school just openly jumped in and joined their team and played with them. And it was really interesting and neat to see how sport was able just to bring these kids together and bridge them. And then at the very end, all the kids were just having a blast. They were just playing volleyball. Uh, they were competitive. And that's just what they wanted to do. So I think sometimes as coaches and the adults in the room, we get caught up in what we think school sports should be. But when it comes down to it, I feel, and from my observations, these kids want to play sport and they want to play with their friends. They want to be with their friends. Yeah, speaking to that sense of competition and fun can still go hand in hand and it's not it's not lost when the structures change. So thank you for sharing that. Now we've spent some time talking about barriers to school sport and access to school sport. As you folks are, are taking on the work of implementing these revisioned notions of school sport in the school setting, uh, I'm wondering if you can share what some of the challenges to implementation have been and how you might address those challenges that might come up when schools are taking up this work. Um, I think the biggest challenge or the biggest shift that needs to happen is in perspectives. So perspectives, beliefs, traditions, school sport has very traditional roots. Um, it has been delivered in the same way for decades. And people have associated opinions because they have that personal experience uh, with these traditions. And I think there are kind of two shifts that need to be made. And it's interesting because I think we've had experience with implementation of this new model by shifting both of these and, and perhaps in different order. So it depends on the context. But one, I think, is overcoming those structural barriers. So time, teacher coaches, space to having more participants or more students participating. And these can be very significant depending on the context. So for example, large schools with high student population or high interest in a, in a specific sport do have trouble offering those the more opportunities. But I think you don't have to take a every sport has all students playing approach. Um, we've worked with schools that have just taken one team that, that has a high student interest and, and added a team to that particular sport. And I think the second shift, and I would probably state that this is the most important shift, is philosophical. These include views that school sport is for elite athletes only or that the sole purpose is winning championships. So I think by shifting these philosophical beliefs, we can start to move away from those traditional roots of school sport and become more inclusive. And when, again, when we say more inclusive, we're still focused on development and quality and the benefits of positive competition. We're just expanding it beyond the top 12 skilled athletes to include others in that change. So I think moving away from those traditional roots, either from structure or philosophical or both, um, is a good start. And I, I will go back to what we said about starting with the purpose of school sports. So what is the purpose within your school? And are our practices matching that purpose? And if not, let's make a shift towards a greater alignment between purpose and practice. Oh, that was good, Lauren. Well, thank you, Doug. I'm going to write down that compliment. You don't have to write it down. It's on the podcast. Oh, yeah. Make sure you include that, Jamie. We'll live forever. Um, I'll just mention, too, and I, I completely agree with, with what was said in terms of going back to the purpose and the mindset or the perceptions. And, and I think it's important just, just to start. Take a look, right? Like, 
people get so kind of gummed up over this is going to be so much work and it's so different and so massive. Just take a look and see what's one thing you can do. Maybe it's adding a couple more players to your roster, whereas last year you only took a few. Maybe it's uh, having a quote-unquote junior team and, and finding the space for that in a, a elementary school down the road. Are there people that have never played basketball that might benefit from trying to play basketball? Um, you know, do you have uh, gender imbalance in who comes out for sport? So find a place to start and just start. There's no perfect way to do this. That's why this framework that John is working on and we're working on together for School Sport for All is meant to just be that a framework. It's not meant to be a, a step-by-step model or checklist. It's meant to be a framework to support how could you identify these challenges in your current context and in your very unique school because they're all different. Yeah, I think Doug and Loren nailed that all in the head. The only thing that I would uh, add is Continue to just surround yourself with good people that want to do good work, right? If you surround yourself with the people, you share your ideas, your vision, and you surround yourself with them, where you can go is endless. Brilliant. Maybe we can take some time. Like, what's the feedback that you've been receiving? What are students, families, like, what are colleagues saying uh, who've benefited from this approach so far? Mentioned before, students, they are happy to be playing. They want to be out there. They want to be with their friends, especially with our grade six and seven students where we have made spots for anyone who wants to participate and learn and develop. They're excited to be there with their friends and to play and to learn. Colleagues, that was a surprise. That was a huge surprise is that when we made it more accessible for staff to get back into coaching who miss it and want to be there, their excitement, their love to coaching kids just radiated again. And seeing them being back in the gym working with with our students, just uh, it's so it's so good to see. The parents, the parent feedback has been awesome to begin with. Again, uh, there was some little hiccup along the road, but now they they're excited to see that their kids are participating and they're learning and um, being able to be involved in school sports. If you don't mind, Jamie, I'm going to share a quick email that was shared to me from a parent when we first started this initiative in our school. Absolutely. Go ahead. Hi, Mr. Morrow. This is Jackson's mom, Sarah. I'd just like to let you know that I'm thrilled to hear of the new developmental sports program that you are implementing this year. The inclusive program is well overdue in our schools, and I truly appreciate that you can see the need for this change. Giving every child the opportunity to play the sport they love, regardless of their ability, will set them up for a way more active lifestyle in the future, as well as build their self-esteem and a sense of belonging. So many children don't have the economic ability or the time to be involved in all the city sports to develop their skills they need to be accepted into the elite competitive school team. And even if they do make the team, they're being dominated by the kids that have been in competitive city leagues. It's very unfair to the kids that just want to play because they love the game. Anyways, I could go on and on, but I just want to offer my support in this program that you have brought forth. Thank you very much. Now, here's the catch with this email. This mom, her son at our school at the time, he made our traditional competitive interscholastic sports teams. He plays in the city team. But from his friend group, she saw the need for a change in school sport for other kids. So when we get support like this, it just helps motivate us to continue the work that we are doing. That's so powerful. It's great when you get proponents of traditional school sport on board to support these new reimagined models. I guess, you know, this is a great place for us to come to a close. Uh, I'm wondering for those of our listeners who are active teachers or pre-service teachers, what is one thing that you can share with them that they as teachers could start doing tomorrow or Monday morning, whatever the case is, to start reimagining school sport in their own school communities? Cool. Good question, Jamie. I think 
as teachers, we're encouraged to be reflective practitioners. So I would encourage people that are looking at school sport to be reflective. And a key question to ask is who is not in your gym or who is not on your field or in the arena or wherever you're playing. And that comes from a good friend of mine and retired teacher, Lois Vanderley, who always encouraged me to ask that question for physical education, but I believe it applies in school sport. And then you can't just ask the the question, you have to act on the answers. I think jumping off of Doug's uh, point there is talk to the students, ask them what they want, ask them how they would feel if you change things up or what they would like to see differently. And then um, take those steps forward. I think all, both Doug and John, you know, captured it. I, I truly think school sport is learning and school sport is about developing the whole child. So find that student that doesn't have that strong sense of belonging to the school community or that you know, needs that place after school, needs that second family and and allow them to get that from their school sports team. Um, Find that student and encourage them to to join a team or um, come out for for an after school activity because it is truly beyond the physical and can have some some very impactful benefits for our students. Absolutely. And as a teacher, I think for me, some of those really cherished relationships and strong relationships with students came from supporting them in that kind of extracurricular space or coaching space, whatever kind of opportunities that arose. So I think um, that's such a powerful note to end on. So thank you once more to Dr. Doug Letty, Dr. Lorenz Sauls, and Jonathan Morrow, future doctor, uh, for sharing your expertise with us today on the podcast and with our listeners. If you want to dive in deeper to this topic and hear from current and former student athletes about the impact of sport in their lives, you can check out our new sister channel, The Pod Class Electives. The Pod Class Electives is a new podcast from EverActive Schools that takes an in-depth look at some of the issues discussed on the pod class. You can check out the show notes for a link and please make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the pod class, a podcast from ever active schools that inspires educators with ideas for a happy, healthy classroom. Special thanks to Matthew Wood for composing and performing the theme music. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at everactiveab, on Facebook at everactive schools, or you can visit our website at everactive.org for more great content and resources. Until next time, the pod class is dismissed. <laughs>